Ladies and gentlemen, Crystal Clear Industries, in association with Rhinestone Radio Podcasts, is proud to present Old Hollywood Realness. Brought to you in vibrant podcastoscope for your listening pleasure. Join your hosts Kathleen Null and Philip Estrada as they recap Hollywood's dazzling darlings one film at a time. And now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Um, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> laughing at bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Didn't you ever see that skit on Saturday Night Live? It was like a uh, deep house dish, and it had like Keenan we- Keen no. Thompson was like a host on like it was like MTV4 now brings you deep house dish, and they would do it was a talk show of like these kids who were really into house music, and uh, um, the the host was like the. And the, he had a co-host at one point. His name was T. Shane. And T. Shane eventually got kicked off the show. Well, but the, the actor who played T. Shane left. So when they dealt with him, they were like, what happened to T. Shane? They're like, we got rid of him because he he distributed pictures of me um, in, in a compromising position. Because no one needs to see me in my Dunkin' Donuts uniform. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... I do like bokeh. <laughs> and then it was life changing. <laughs> so we also got the word brisness. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Anyhow, how you doing, Kathleen? I'm pretty good. How are you? Philip? I'm good. <laughs> Philip. <laughs> um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How was your holiday? Um, it was good. It was pretty chill. How was yours? Nice. Mine was chill too. Did some, did some presents. Um, did a day trip to Vancouver. Nice. But other than that, it was pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. And now I'm just slip sliding right into New Year's Eve, Sweet. which should be fun and low key. Um, oh wait, no, because actually, if you think about it, the day that um, this is going to come out is New Year's Day. So happy <gasps> New Year's, everyone! Happy, happy New, New Year's, Year's everybody. to all the fans of old. Hollywood realness. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew, Please excuse my voice. I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> oh. Well, we wish, we wish you we wish you were a speedy recovery, Kathleen. No. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so welcome, everybody, to Old Hollywood Realness, the podcast that recounts the Hollywood glamour machine one film at a time. Um, yeah. I'm one of your hosts, Philip Estrada. And I'm the other one, Kathleen Dahl. That's right. My girl, Kathleen. <laughs> over on the ones and Ayo. twos. <laughs> um, and there's Philip on the threes and fours. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Um, bow, 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 bow. I don't know what threes I, and fours are. I have are. no idea what <laughs> we're talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow. Um, so, yes, this is uh, the first podcast of 2018 comes out on the bright and early in the morning on the first so yes. happy new pew, year pew. <laughs> <Happy> New Year! <laughs> bing bang pew pew <laughs> oh my god so i hope you guys 
Well, I understand if you're not listening to this right away because you're probably hungover and you don't want two people laughing in your ears. Because um, that or would be obnoxious. Or maybe you are listening to this right away because for, for the love of God, you want to get away from your family and all your troubles <laughs> and obligations and just need a little escape while you walk the dog. Hell yeah. Or you're in your car. <laughs> five stars, everyone. Just give a five stars review. <laughs> love you. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So what movie are we talking about today, Kathleen? We're talking about Vertigo. Vertigo. Oh man! Oh my goodness! This is great. Nineteen fifty-eight. Nineteen fifty-eight from Paramount in Blazing Vista Vision. Uh huh. We've got Kim Novak starring as Madeline Elster, and spoiler alert: Judy Barton. We also have James Jimmy Stewart playing John Scotty Ferguson. We have Barbara Belgetti's who plays Midge Wood, which is like my favorite name ever. And um, Tom Helmore plays Galvin Esther, who is uh, Madeline's husband, Kim Novak's husband. This movie is directed by Alfred Hitchcock, in case you weren't sure of that. And yes, in case you were living under a rock. <laughs> yes, and you've never heard of this movie. Um, and the costumes were designed by one Miss Edith Head. That's right, Miss six-time Oscar winner Edith Head. Uh, that would be eight times. And in case you're living under eight a rock. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm just going to go throw myself against that rock. <laughs> if, she, if she were here right now, she would backhand me. She's like, I didn't win those two Oscars for nothing, motherfucker. <laughs> She'd let the other two you were missing out on bash you on the head equally. <laughs> No, already three minutes in and already giving misinformation. Oh God, we are at the top of our games. You know, it's okay. It's okay. We got notes. We got notes. We know how to use them. Yep, that's right. So, Kathleen, what's your history with this film? With this, with this cinematic masterpiece, as it were. Uh, Well, Philip, um, this movie, um, as far as I know, um, this movie came out in like the mid '80s. Um, around the same time as a, uh, about five other Hitchcock movies um, mm. that so I, I actually uh, they were sort of considered the lost Hitchcocks um, I, uh, they were there were some buying like I guess like Hitchcock ended up buying them back and then giving them to his daughter so they were like sort of out of release or leave even people oh. who kind of had like bootleg tapes like because my parents used to get like bootleg tapes and stuff of like old movies and shit this was like sort of out oh my of, god like, the 80s though while. the 80s were rife with buying two vcrs and renting movies uh, and oh copying yeah that's what them we had. for all of your friends that's oh so, yeah we um, had kmart yeah. clothes we had two fucking vcrs let me tell you like it was uh it was some hardcore shit with my parents about doing that stuff they were VHS part of like tapes were it was serious. basically almost like a netflix but like mail order with like handwritten catalogs where people would exchange it it was it's a thing anyway wow. so these didn't kind of these were around but but i do remember watching these when i was young like under the age of 10 uh in the late 80s um uh not as vertigo not as much uh more of like um i remember watching dialem for murder and and of course my literally my number one favorite movie of all time is rear window that movie oh, yeah. is fucking i, I mean it, it, 
That's we will not funny. cover that for a while, just like a lot of our favorites, because it just like there's so much. But like we got to ramp it is, up to it that is, one. Yeah, exactly. But it is wonderful. Um, but this movie, I remember watching it and not really understanding it so much as a kid. Um, I don't blame I just remember, you. I remember shots uh, and not really being into it. Like there's mm-hmm. there's definitely movies I could watch. Like like I said, especially Rear Window, you can watch it even as a younger kid and be like, I kind of see what's going on. Um, it wasn't until I would say about seven years ago, five to seven years ago, I rewatched it and I watched it like by myself on my own, actually living in the Bay Area. I lived in Oakland at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, living the dream. And, and, and <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> let's not talk about how homesick I am. That's so, a um, but, it, but it was uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but but yeah, it was it was really great. I I loved it. Um, I I love it. Um, but it's also what I would consider a problematic favorite. Oh, because okay. I mean, as <laughs> as you sort of were mentioning, uh, there's definitely as far as the story and but there are definitely things in it that are uncomfortable. But yes. there are also things in it that are just amazing. Like just the way the whole movie inf- unfolds is breathtaking and amazing. Um, so that is my history. Um, and you ha- and also knowing about Edith Head, I knew Edith Head. It was it was mm-hmm. a heavy hitter just costume wise as far as um, in a lot of the costume history and stuff that I'm passionate about. I just remember Vertigo was always very much cited for um, the gray suit. And so that that was a, sort of an iconic costume. Just I would equate it with almost like the, uh, the white dress from the seven year itch. It has right. that very like you see it and you know it mm-hmm. and you know that it's a certain thing. And uh, it's very famous for that. So, so yes, that is my experience. What is yours? Yeah. My <laughs> history goes all the way back to earlier this week. So, <laughs> oh, um, shit. I, Here we go. I, I know, right? It was a cold, dark day on <laughs> earlier this week, and I sat in my bed and watched this film. Um, actually, I actually had never seen this movie before. Um, wow. this wasn't sort of in my rotation of sort of like you know, because I'm a musical queen and a, Ju- and a yes. Judy queen and a you know, uh, a velvet as, slippers yeah. kind of boy, but um, as one is naturally, as one does. so this one kind of didn't really kind of land it wasn't in my periphery as mm-hmm. growing up but um i remember you introduced me to rear window which was an amazing and i've recently watched um to catch a thief and like yes. um i've seen i've also seen like 39 steps which is an amazing movie and mm-hmm. also an amazing stage production of that too which um if anybody has ever i guess a chance to see a stage production of 39 steps they did a really good job adapting that wow. um to stage it's it's kind of bananas uh and uh yeah so this one kind of just slips right through my fingers and i didn't really get too much into it so i like you were saying it was problematic so me watching it for the very first time Mm -hmm. last week um or earlier this week it like i'm going in fresh with very little like preconceived notions of it i didn't know the storyline out of it at all um pretty mm-hmm. much all i've known about this movie is the movie poster because it's kind of like that's um since I, when i worked at the when i worked at the bookstore in um la back in the early ni- in the late 90s early 2000s um <laughs> Uh, the golden age of the golden <laughs> age of the 2000s. Um, uh, we we sold um, vintage posters, and this was kind of one that people would always come in and ask for. And we were like, and we just look at them, and we'd be like, no, we. I was like, we. I think we did have a real one, and we were just like, 
we were like, do you want a real one or do you want a reprint one? And they were like, well, how much is a real one? And I'm like, we were like, a reprint one is $30. And they're like, that's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because they think that, because, you know, it's adorable when people come in to collect, when they think that, you know, ephemera from 1958 is just going to be $10. It's like, no, this is a a classic film. And these, so that poster was thousands of dollars worth. Yeah, exactly. um, But it, it's, and honestly, it's a beautiful poster too. It's like very great graphic very like it's kind of one of those if you look at like movie posters because i've always had a fascination with them and it's kind of we're kind of kind of going off the rails but um, oh no 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 i've oh, had by all means go off i think this is going to be tangent city because this is yes. vertigo there's so many tangents and so many wonderful things to discuss so please yeah. carry on so anyway <laughs> but this one has a beautiful poster and um i we should probably i should actually start incorporating more conversations about the movie posters in it because mm-hmm. i love old movie posters and i love just because i, I love too. the graphic nature of them and a lot of times that's this that was sort of the only thing that because they didn't run commercials a lot and they mm-hmm. didn't have movie, you know the trailers and that sort of thing so the posters and the the paper artwork and the paper yeah um, the like the press material was pretty much all they had to show yep. so i think Th- it's that kind goes of for the movie cards too i love the oh yeah the lobby cards, cards like, yeah like the lobby cards that would have like this amazing like artwork like mixed mm-hmm. with random pictures of the people or like scenes from the movie that were like colorized, but they were from a black and white movie. So you're yeah. like, oh, the dress is this color. Like you can actually see Or it. Um, so whoever the, pro, whoever the press department thought it was that color. You know, it's like exactly. it's so interesting because like, they... Yeah, yeah. I love well, that. And I, I, well, I love, I love them from like the early, like the 20s and 30s ones because it's mm-hmm. total like Art Deco artwork, Art Deco artwork. Oh my God, photograph, yeah. You know? Totally <laughs> it's cool. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tangents. Really awesome. I know. Um, <laughs> but so Vertigo does that too. If you think about mm-hmm. it, like... That was done in the late fifties. Um, to me, I look at that, and if if at first blush and you don't know, you're like, oh, it's kind of sixties. It's not sixties. That's fifties. That I is know. like earlier. This is like, in, if you think about it, sort of an inspiration for like I think of like op art and all that kind of like sort of that psychedelic stuff that you start to see um, anywhere from like five to ten years later. Yeah, this and was I like think nineteen fifty eight. I would say mid fifties. Yeah, you know? I think and this was even, sort of like yeah. the because I think like, it's very very beatniky in that. Totally. Way. Yeah, this very is San Francisco in that. Uh, San Francisco w- in the fifties is just. Woo, woo, I mean, so it's nice. really cool. It's so I thought girls it, got the, the vapors for that beauty. <laughs> the visual. This movie is beautiful oh jesus christ on a crutch it's gorgeous (laughs) i mean it's a gorgeous gorgeous film and i really want to give credit i really want to give credit where credit is due that um for all the problems with this movie and the problems with alfred hitchcock himself Mm -hmm. he really is he was really plugged in and dialed into sort of the visual aesthetics of what was kind of like the cutting edge of the visual aesthetics was happening because like if you look at the way the movie is shot and like all of that and even the movie poster art's very graphic, very bold, very like mid sixties, I would think. And mm-hmm. then I think you had even mentioned we were like in as you had sent notes over that they use computer graphics in the opening sequence of mm-hmm. this movie, which is all yeah. that all that spiral. Yeah, it's all that spirograph yeah. work because it's basically. I don't think that they certainly didn't by any means use like actual animation, but they definitely used in the spirograph, like creating of the fractals and stuff for that Mm -hmm. is like, that was sort of on the cutting edge too. And like they ended up using those like spirograph became like a huge big deal in the mid sixties, mid to late sixties. And Mm -hmm. so it was like to have, to have a director who's like, 
in his like in his golden years like he's old he was an old director yeah. at this point you know and of course sort of do you like being aware and being influenced by such like cutting edge stuff i really got to give him credit for it because i mean staying yeah. that current is exhausting it is it is <laughs> it exhausting. really is <laughs> i yeah. have th- i just had that conversation today where i'm like i'm just so tired trying to be cool <laughs> what do i do with my life yeah but just he just s- he he did his own thing he he was like he was paint he was really like painting a whole picture he was painting a masterpiece mm-hmm. from beginning to end and yeah. uh it, it's it's fantastic um it, it's really wonderful and to me again it's just like i love these movies that just seem to be like a love letter to a city and oh, that totally. movie is a love letter to san francisco totally and just, oh i want i mean midge's apartment is just Ugh. well first of all the interior looks like my apartment but i'm just saying like you know it's a mess um, but <laughs> but the view it must be like knob hill or something but she it also had that beautiful like she had also had that uh, like cool little like oriental inspired wall where it was like oh, kind of yeah. like a screen or like a, a tinted yep. window and it was yep. like it, and it even like so jeffrey's beautiful. like at the outside of jeffrey's apartment or Je- uh, sorry uh sorry scotty's apartment i'm right i call him jeffrey like from rear window i'm sorry James Stewart, whatever <laughs> uh from outside of scotty's apartment like his little like he has this uh like sort of um metal fence sort of thing that's all like like kind of like asian uh i would say characters um yeah again it's just very uh and the, the way the lighting is the way the lighting and the sun and the I sky mean, it just you just know where you are you just know where you are and it's amazing I mean, <laughs> and it's beautiful <laughs> it was so interesting too because it's nice to actually see that them them shooting goodness on location (laughs) um see them shooting on location and like really utilizing all of the spots for this it was just like yeah he really i mean from what i was reading they did shoot all the exterior shots out in on location and then they filmed a lot of the interiors on sound stages back in la but they really made use of every single square inch of the city it was kind of amazing it was really amazing yeah i Um, yeah it's it's great but um yeah, um, did you did you want to go over the story? Um, well, I th- I actually was pulling some information. So quickly, just okay. um, this film is based on the novel uh, D'entre les Moites, which uh, <laughs> Les Moites, sorry, D'entre les Moites. Pulling out my uh, high school French there, uh, which yeah. means From Among the Dead, which was written specifically for Alfred Hitchcock by Pierre Boileau and Thomas. N- I'm gonna get this wrong. Narcajac. Um, N-A-R-C-E-J-A-K-C um, after they had oh. heard that he tried to buy the rights to their previous novel um, Celle qui n'était plus uh, She Who Was No More uh, which he them filmed under a different name Diabolique in 55 so I guess they were really um, they found him to be they found it very flattering so they wrote a book specifically for him to make into a movie um, with the hopes and then um uh, Alfred Hitchcock originally wanted Lana Turner instead of Kim Novak, uh, but mm-hmm. apparently she, quote, wanted too much loot. So she was <laughs> dropped from consideration. You know what? Actually, I, I think I could, I think actually that in some ways it would have made more sense just because I know there was a much bigger age gap between uh, James Stewart and Kim Novak versus like Lana Turner and him. I think that maybe yeah. would have I mean, been. It, there was Good. a 25 I think it was a 25 year age difference between Kim Novak and Jimmy yeah. Stewart which is 
well, problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one like, of the again, problems with this and, movie. And, and like you know, one of the factoids that we pulled up was that like it, you know, it, this actually was not a big hit when it came out. Nope. <laughs> and nope. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock tried to blame it on the fact that uh, you know James Stewart was too old and not sexy enough. And yes. He's like the Harrison Ford of his time. It's like he's always kind of being Jimmy Stewart, but he's yeah. given these roles where he's like, he is put in these roles where he's like a lot older than his leading lady, but he does his job. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's interesting too because I think that's sort of, I think that's sort of what happens to these prolific actors like that, like mm-hmm. a Harrison Ford type or a Jimmy Stewart type, is that they are just like, well, he's still a box office draw, so let's put him in these quote romantic parts, but they yeah. don't age, they don't age up his counterpart. Which yeah. they don't. And then, they, when, and then when the when the movie doesn't perform, it's because they weren't sexy enough. They were yes. too old. It's like, and oh, really? Like, well, well, you should have thought about that when you cast <laughs> them, you asshole. I'm I know. Just saying. So but it's also, just, I, I liked him in this movie. I thought he was good. You know, I not, I thought he was good too. I do think he was. I mean, he's super intense in this movie too, and the storyline itself is very intense. Um, but. Yeah, so there's there's just a lot to a lot to take in on this film. Um, I also yeah. um, I also pulled um, some blurbs from an article that I read on CloseOnFilm.com by Iris um, Vese, um, the listings editor and resident art critic at Vignette. Um, she was it was a whole article basically about the costuming of this film. So I'm just going to read some quick quotes. So Hitchcock especially requested the color gray for Madeline in the knowledge that it tends to be too harsh on blondes. These stark, um, these stark tones lend to Madeline's lend Madeline a sinister edge. It becomes easy to believe that a spirit might possess her. When Madeline appears in the florists softly lit in her smoky gray suit, she looks as Hitchcock descri- des- desired as though she just stepped out of the San Francisco fog. So, and which I agree with, it's kind of, a, it was an, that was an amazing scene. Um, yeah. Madeline personifies Hitchcock's sexual ideal, which he describes as thus, quote, we're after the drawing room type, the real ladies who, who become whores once they're in the bedroom. Poor Marilyn Monroe had sex written all over her face and Bridget Bardot isn't very subtle either. Madeline carefully buttoned up in her little gray suit had, had a sexual, des- um, sorry, had a discreet sexual allure. She is reserved, mysterious, the drawing room type. So it's, it's interesting that I just hearing all the stories and stuff about how he was so hands on in the, in the, and collaborative in the costuming and the, he had very specific visions for what he wanted out of this. And it kind of showed, um, in this movie, I thought, um, she continues. She says the confinement yeah. in Madeline's costumes, um, initially displeased Novak who recalls when Edith had shown me that gray suit, I said, Oh my God, it looks like it would be very hard to act in. It's very confining. Nonetheless, Novak eventually conceded that this was the costume strength reflecting the ri- ri- rigidity of Madeline's character and even changing the way she stood. That made, that made, I'm sorry. They made that suit very stiff. You constantly had to hold your shoulders back and stand erect. But oh, that was so perfect. The suit helped me find the tools of for playing the role. Whereas Madeline is sexually unavailable, unearthly, and unreal, Judy is voluptuous and fleshy. She wears heavy makeup, a vampish eyeshadow, and bright red lipstick. Her hair is girlishly clipped back from her face and forms kiss curls along her brow. Embracing a provocative, more overtly sexualized appearance, Judy's clothes cling to her body, showing off her shape, exacerbating this. Novak wore no bra as Judy, the shapes of her breasts clearly visible beneath her clothes. 
um, yeah, so I found that article was really cool. So if anybody wants to check it out, it's clothesonfilm.com. I literally just Googled um, Vertigo costumes, Edith Head, just to find, to see if there's any writings about the costume design. And it was really interesting to see just how, like how much the costuming played role a role in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of writing about it. There's a, there's a lot of... Um there's a lot of um, it's it's interesting. This film definitely has, a, you know, I mean, some of the films that we cover don't always have this, but this film has a ton of documentation and a ton of writing about the the costuming and the the you know quotes from the different actors and and all and you know photographs and everything. It's mm-hmm. it was extensive and it was a really treasure trove for to to dive into. Yeah. This uh, this movie has, I mean, it didn't do well when it first came out, and it kind of even critically too, people didn't really like it. But it's become one of like the most like studied films and anymore, like because it was it's been regarded over the years as such a big deal. So there is plenty to discuss. Um, if you want, I can talk about the storyline. I can run through the synopsis. Sure. Okay. Jump in at any at any point to um you know to interject your thoughts by all means. Um so as we said this movie is about Detective John Scotty Ferguson played by Jimmy Stewart. He was pursuing a criminal on the rooftops of San Francisco and it um and when attempting a jump between two buildings he slides down a slope roof and hangs by the gutter um a cop who is also in pursuit uh, comes back to help save scotty but he plummets to his death and this event begins scotty's battle with acrophobia also known as the fear of heights this manifests in crippling vertigo so flash forward scotty is hanging out in his former fiance's midge and um, he's hanging out with her and in her apartment she's played by barbara bell Geddes, as i was saying um where they're in her apartment where he has decided to retire from the force. They discuss how he received a call from his old college chum, Gal Gavin Elster and um, about him agreeing to meet with him. So they also discuss his fear of heights and how Scotty is determined to beat it with immersive therapy. Um, he shows his pro- um, proposed method, but then he looks down out the window and the plan backfires. So it really shows that scene really shows how, just how crippling his acrophobia has gotten. So, um, so Scotty goes down to the shipyard to meet his old chum, Gavin, played by Tom Helmore. Um, and it turns out that Gavin's wife, Madeline, is the heiress to a shipping fortune, and he is running the company's interests in San Francisco. Um, but there is a problem. He believes Madeline is some sort of danger and convinces Scotty to follow her to keep tabs. So he reluctantly agrees and spies on them at a restaurant that evening to get an eye on the lady. Um, and it turns out she's an ordinary woman. Um, the next day, Scotty follows Madeline to um, Madeline. I called her Madeline. <laughs> um, Madeline to a florist, uh, then to the mission to a mission where she visits the grave of Carlotta Valdez and then to a museum where she sits at a portrait um, in front of a portrait of a dead of the dead woman. So she then drives and enters the McKittrick Hotel. And when she goes into, when he goes in to investigate, she seems to have disappeared and was never there. Um, 
I think this is the point of the movie where I'm just like, is she dead? <laughs> like, has she been dead this whole time? <laughs> I was a little confused by it. I was like, I think we might be following a ghost. Um, so Scotty enlists Midge to find a, um, to find a historian with some background on Carlotta. Turns out Carlotta committed suicide when her married lover cast her aside after giving birth to their child. The man ended up keeping the child from Carlotta and raised it as his own. Scotty presents this information to Gavin and he reveals that Carlotta a lot of Valdez is Madeline's great grandmother. He's already aware of this fact, um, but she has no knowledge of that. And Madeline also reports not remembering visiting any of the places that she's seen. So Gavin begins to think that Carlotta is possess is possessing his wife somehow. Um, little supernatural element. Uh, the next day, Scotty tails Madeline to uh, Fort Point under the Golden Gate Bridge. Totally been there. It's really pretty. Um, this is where she throws herself into the water. Um, and Scotty saves her and takes her unconscious back to his apartment. Uh, this is the first time they exchange any conversation. And he doesn't let on that he was hired to follow her. She then slips out when he's on the phone and disappears into the night. Um, Madeline returns the next day to Scotty's pad to give him a thank you note for saving her. Cause she's a lady and that's what ladies do. They give thank you <laughs> notes. Um, he convinces her to quote, wander around together. Um, they end up traveling to the Muir woods. Um, and then also to a beach where they, where they embrace passionately. Uh, Madeline tells Scotty about a vivid nightmare and the setting of the nightmare is identified by Scotty as the Mission San Juan Bautista. Uh, Scotty takes her there to face her fears. She seems to be deeply bothered by this place, but they embrace, kiss, and profess their love for each other. Madeline then runs suddenly up into the ch um, church bell tower. Scotty tries to follow her, but his, acro um, his acrophobia stops him on the stairs, and this is when he sees Madeline plunge to her death through a window. Um, there's an inquest and the death is ruled suicide and everyone is cleared of fault. Uh, stricken with grief, Scotty has a nervous breakdown, ends up in a mental hospital. Um, after he's released, Scotty wanders around all the places M Madeline would visit, um, imagining that he sees her everywhere. Um, one day he sees a young woman who reminds him a lot of Madeline and he tails her back to her hotel and confronts her. After much grilling, she reveals that she is Judy Barton from Kansas. He convinces her to go out with him that evening. Uh, he leaves so he can get ready and sh it is revealed that sh through a letter that she was posing as Madeline so that Gavin could murder his wife and get it ruled a suicide. Um, being that she is still in love with Scotty, she scraps the letter and sees if she can win him back. So it turns out Scotty is still super, super dupes obsessed with Madeline and begins in a very creepy way, remaking Judy in Madeline's image. Judy goes along with the game reluctantly um, at first, and then eventually he makes her over and, when it gets to the point where she looks just like Madeline, Scotty is able to show his affection to her for the first time. Um, and in order to celebrate, they, they, they plan on going out for the evening. And then Judy puts on a necklace that ends up being Carlotta's necklace. And seeing this, Scotty realizes um, that something is amiss and he sort of puts it together. And then he drives Judy back to the mission. He claims he needs to reenact the events that led to his breakdown. He drags Judy up into the bell tower, conquering his acrophobia. His, he confronts her that he knows about the plot and she admits the whole thing. And, but that her love was real when they embrace a shadowy figure emerges from the dark darkness. 
Judy is freaked out and steps backwards, out falling out of the window to her death. Scotty watches her fall, and it turns out that it was just a nun investigating the noise. And that is the movie. In a one-page wow. nutshell. <laughs> a lot happened. That was a lot of breath. <laughs> Woo! <Yep. laughs> so, okay. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a swig off this beer so I can, like, feel a little bit better. Oh, it's here. Okay. So, where to begin on this movie? Jeepers. Well, um, I think, uh, let's see. I guess we could maybe start with the infamous gray suit. I think that... Um, that's a good place that's, to start. That's a great way to start. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really what motivates and sort of... It, it's it's what the Madeline character wears and is sort of part of the character formation during the first half of the movie and is what um, the main character uh, is trying to get back to in the end. Um, right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It is like a... That, this one is... that Yeah, the gray suit is sort of like a through line in the movie. It starts out when... It kind of starts out his obsession with her and it makes her face seem super ethereal and, like like a gray ghost in a way um mm -hmm. and then again there's that really creepy scene when he's trying to make over judy and he's like demanding the gray suit and trying to find this gray suit and i don't know how you felt about that whole makeover thing i was very disturbed by that. It, it was very disturbing and i i saw that she was going through with it because it's like she knows the secret and she loves him and yes. um and the gray suit is also very interesting because supposedly it was it was literally like a like a Hitchcock fantasy. Like he loved the idea of this of a blonde woman in a gray suit. But I don't know if it was so much that or is that like it's either that I've heard that story, or I've also heard that um, they he wanted the look to be jarring. He wanted right. it to be what I almost think, but they just didn't have the word for it, goth as fuck. Like, he wanted her <laughs> to be ghostly. Um, so it's like, we have a white girl with white hair in a gray suit, and, like, gray was sort of, at that time, color theory in the 20th century was, like, super important. Like, you know, if you had a certain hair color or eye color, like your eyeshadow color or your, you know, what you should wear was all sort of right. dictated based on that. And so yes. a big no-no at the time um, was grays on on blondes and mm -hmm. and even to that to that end like I I was reading that the first meeting that Edith Head had with um, with Kim Novak about this she was like you know well okay well kind of here's what we're going here's what we're thinking and she's like great anything but gray I just you know whatever you want to do just don't have gray and she really thought she was like I'm gonna just let you have carte blanche like I'm being so creative but don't do this one color. Well, that was the one color that Alfred Hitchcock wanted. <laughs> and even when, yeah. you know, we, we talk about this, like, you know, Edith Head was, you know, a, again, a costume designer is a is a lot of things, a, a go between an yes. ambassador and a lot of these things. And so she knew that. And one of one of the keys, the many keys to Edith's success was sort of just really working with people, just really understanding and sort of negotiating and doing different things. That's and true. so as soon as she found out that like Kim Novak was like no to the gray, but that Hitchcock wanted the gray, she's like, Hey, Hitchcock, how much do you want? How much do you really want this? He's like, you know what? I want any color. I, I, I want just bring me any color as long as it's gray. Like he really <laughs> fucked with her, you know, in that sense of just like, you need to make this work. Like this is exactly what I want and need for this character. And what I love is that like, as the story goes is that, um, 
she, you know, here she is with this conundrum. So she she just does her fucking homework. She she makes she gets these she doesn't do them. She gets some amazing sketches made, and she picks uh, this variety of gray fabrics that she knows any of them would work for this for this suit. And so mm-hmm. she presents them to, you know, the ne- on the next time she meets with Kim Novak, knowing full well that she doesn't want this, she's like, hey, you know what? Like, this is what it is for the character. Here's, here's this, here, but here's the concept. And look, here, we would like you, help me with this. Help me, help me make this. Help me, help me help you. You know, and so she brings these fabrics to her. And so she really, like, gives a positive spin to it and then really makes her feel that she's part of the collaborative process. And I think that that's a really, that was so fucking smart the way she was able to take something that even in the end, you know, Kim Novak, she's like, I still fucking hated the suit, but I understood that I, the need for the character. And I understood the way that Edith and everybody, like she cut it a certain way. She had it a certain way. I got it. I got it because, you know, but she, but again, she was made to feel part of the process. And that's like, um, that's yeah. just such a, knowing that, knowing full well that like, you know, this was completely separate from Alfred Hitchcock in his controlling ways. She was still able to sort of have her own little world with this actress before she had to go to the guillotine, before she had to go to Hitchcock with that, you know, knowing that he was right. going to fucking yeah. tear her down anyway, you know? So it's yeah. like, and it's he so was, complicated, she was like a constant, so like, <laughs> sort of negotiator when it came to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, was, and and she she yeah. knew how to play that game and it's exhausting. It's a fucking exhausting game, but she did it. She did it. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and that was the thing too. It's like it wasn't just the dress. It wasn't just the suit, it was the shoes. You know, like yeah. like she had to wear black shoes and like Kim Nam was just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, like why am I wearing black shoes? Like I'm a blonde, I wear nude shoes. This is what I do." And like even at that time, a lot of times actors would either like for basic clothes or shoes they would actually bring in their own clothes and their own shoes they got to be more part of like the collaborative process and for alfred hitchcock he's like no 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 you're gonna wear all these things and like that was even something that later on like you know kim novak she's like i had to basically i'm wearing someone else's shoes so i had to take that and go like that may be uncomfortable and i had to channel that in my character of being like i'm not this person I am, but I'm not, and so she had, she had to like use that for good, like use that evil for good, because it was really, un- it's it's very unsettling. It's not comfortable. It, well, the, and he was known I mean, to do that. Like the whole so. film itself is just unsettling. It's like, very the unsettling. Whole, the whole, f- I remember yeah. I was just watching it, and I was just like, this movie is like kind of messed. Up. Like there's Honestly, just so much like yeah. undercurrent of like control and like yes, yes. like between her character at the beginning and the super crazy like austere suit and like just in general the character itself was super austere and you could tell she was like some sort of like trapped thing like yes even if whether yeah. she's like a trapped woman within her marriage or trapped woman within society or she's a trapped mm-hmm. woman because she's literally trapped like kind of in the story goes like she's trapped by a ghost or a spirit or something she's sort of like a uh, you know, held hostage, which yes. are imitating life, maybe because mm-hmm. you know I know I've heard Hitchcock could be a bit of a tyrant, you know, with his, especially with his leading women, which is yeah. again kind of fucked up too because there's also a super duper misogynistic element about this movie Huge. at the very and near the end, like once yeah. once they introduce the Judy character, it just gets like. Oh, super uncomfortable. Like it he, yeah. like the way that Jimmy Stewart puts himself into her, like pretty much inserts himself into this woman's life. I'm like, boy, you don't know. If I would like, 
I just was like, why is she inviting him into the apartment? Why is he like, why is she being so amenable to this guy? And then when it's revealed that she is, she is Madeline. I was like, Madeline, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But again, though, it's still kind of fucked up. Well, but it's also that, it's that fucked up thing of like, if you do this, will you love me? If you do this, will you love me? And like, it's, you just see that slow burn of that happening even if it's in a glamorous way, like when yeah. he's looking for the suit, he's looking for the shoes and like, oh God, it's so uncomfortable. And she's like, it's I so won't do it. Like, and she, mind you, she looks so fucking cute in her Judy outfits. Like she, oh gosh, and I love adorable. that they play that differently. Like, you know, like you said, like she even didn't wear, not that you can really tell, uh, but she didn't even, she didn't wear a bra when she was Judy versus when she was Madeline. And like, I mean, just, yeah. she gave, she, you can just tell she wears more tchotchkes and jewelry. She's a little, she's, I hate that they can't, like, they try to say that she's vulgar. I don't think of her as vulgar. She's just a little more tacky. She's tacky. She's right. young. She's just she's trying, she's they're trying young. to show that difference yeah. of like, typical of like the 1950s. And like, right. yeah, I, but, uh. I, I don't know. It's yeah, but also too, I think what also super makes it unsettling is that this is this is Jim James Stewart playing an, a you know, a very creepy, unsettling role that he never really had done before, I think yeah. or since. Um and I would honestly argue that this is probably one of Hitchcock's like creepiest films. I know he's done creepy. ones where like the murder or the other thing the violence has maybe been more blatant, but the underlying current of this movie is just probably one of the creepiest things he's ever done. It's very, it's like super, there's like yeah. so, there were so many moments totally. in this where, especially like literally, it was mostly the interactions yep. between, once they started, once him and um, Judy started interacting, once he met Judy, I was like, my skin just immediately started crawling and yeah. never stopped crawling where I was like, what is happening? It was so, yeah. and the fact that she was going on, going going in well she was like going along with his like creepy obsession just yeah. made it even more the work made more worse because i was like i know that you love this guy but you are like it just felt like she was selling herself out and it was such a shame i was just yeah. like, oh, so such a bummer um yeah, yeah so yeah there's so much i could but that's pretty much my my problem with this movie it was just the you know and then it does like when i hear and i know this is like this is like so many people's favorite movie like this is like everyone i mean just from the social media that we've been posting we've been getting a lot of feedback mm-hmm. that this is everyone's favorite movie and i do not want to like you know yuck anybody's yum it's just it just questions me i just makes it just makes me think i'm like what is what is it about this movie that gets people going like is, is it the creepiest you know it's like i i want i hope that everyone's aware of the of the the, the nature of the movie you know and, and they're not you know or at least well, have thought about it objectively that's all as long as it, as long as we're thinking objectively about the movie i'm happy about it i you would know, say I just, yes and no to that only yeah. because this movie has already served as a a huge influence to a lot of heavy hitting directors over the years to making different movies. Yeah. One, one I just off, off the cuff, I'm thinking of is basic instinct. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that one all the way through. I actually just recently saw that actually. about a couple of months ago for the first time, because that came out when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And all I knew about it was like, I fucking, I love that weird like dance music in it. That was like house music, but like, <laughs> I, I liked the music, but I was not allowed to see it. I knew there was a crotch scene. It was like porn. Like, so mm-hmm. I never, and it just sort of like, 
disappeared from like my sort of importance of movies to see and one day I was like huh it was like on Netflix or one of those where I was like well it's free I'll just give it a go and I was like oh this is this is really weird and, and like also too but then even when I watched it I'm like this reminds me a lot of Vertigo like this is very yeah. and then again rewatching it um you can just really see where there's a lot of but it's not the only one there's articles written about many movies and many directors who've been inspired not just by Hitchcock but in particular this movie yeah. um, but that one to me in some ways has so much literal shit where it's like you know white ladies with white hair wearing white clothes that's yeah. creepy which is creepy <laughs> in some ways sometimes it can be chic like Jean Harlow other times you're just like you're just some, in your white clothes you're like wearing white pants and a white bone drinking white wine you're just too white lady you're too white you're too white it's but so that's much just, white it's so much white are you gonna what have um, a turkey sandwich on white bread with mayo ah too much white you know like it's too much white but so, I mean, anyway. it's, it is, it definitely does. This movie probably serves as sort of like um, a fashion plate for so many sort of like directors or would be directors who are like, Ooh, what if I use like a super, like a super intense green light? Cause that he yes. did use lighting in a way that was very sort of evocative, which well, was really cool about that. This was one of the good things about this movie. I think was the way that he used lighting and the way that he used like some, some fade effects and stuff. And the, to really core sort of highlight the movie like when you first see madeline in that red that red um wallpapered um restaurant oh my god that first yeah. of all that restaurant is bananas. i know i know right i Amazing. mean it's so as she and she looks stunning in the black that black um evening gown with the cloak you know the the wrap that's like edged in the you know the peacock blue and it's yeah. just in that setting it's like gorgeous and then she actually like stops in that profile shot and then there's that sort of like flood of red light it's it's like wait is it blue or is it like emerald green it feels it's like, like a it's, it's like a bluish green em it's like a peacock kind of color so it's a little bit of a green casted blue uh -huh. so it's or green i don't know it it's an interesting color it's like greenish blue bluish green greenish blue <laughs> <laughs> That could be your own. Um, yeah, but that whole that whole shot. I mean, it is just it's a very artistically. It's like the, the art direction in this movie, and then the 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 way that he pays attention to these lighting effects and stuff. It's like it definitely will. It's. I mean, people are still using those effects to this day. Um, well, yeah, and I also think of where it's almost become cliche, but of sort of like the blonde femme fatale, um, right. yeah. you know, sort of, and the guy being obsessed with her. And the obsession of like, is she a bad girl? Is she not? You know, that sort of thing. And I feel yeah. like, again, like the basic instinct and like other people like Ryan De Palma, they take that shit to the next <laughs> level where it's just like, you know, really, really You're just like, like yeah, yeah, they're just. Yeah, I would it, just I I really want to hear what everyone else what is it about this movie that people love like yeah. I want to know like what is it about this movie because there is and you know knowing that there's so much that this there is sort of like a problematic undercurrent with this movie I'd be curious to hear what people's what it is specifically about it that they love you know. Yeah, because I think that it's I think that is interesting to see because this just watching this I was like wow this movie is something it is it, something yeah you know like in in and I mean that in with all all the respect in the world I'm just like this movie is 
seriously something like I get it why it's like you know it's like I get it why it was voted like number two on AFI's top 100 list or you know whatever but it's just like there's it's a troubling looking through like today's lens and today like with all the stuff that's happening in Hollywood and stuff like that now it just it just it just begs the question I'd be like okay we we do see the problems with it right well and not just today I mean Hello, like, you know, Kim Novak's stories remain consistent through the years about her working on this and just working with it. And not just her, but, I mean, there's been consistent stories about working with Alfred Hitchcock and how, you know, it it could be problematic, but at the same time, like, it's like, oh, it's problematic, but we're making good film. You know, mm-hmm. it's that sort of thing. And, like, hey, I'm not s- saying anything about him as far as that goes. I'm just, yeah. but but, uh, but the, the narrative and the story is not new. Um, and right. we are here to talk about costumes, and I don't want to get, <laughs> as they would say, off brands. But, um, but this this movie, I mean, I think it's great to talk about in terms of costume design, uh, as far as the collaboration. Um, it, it is a Alfred Hitchcock movie in that it's unique. He is a unique director in that he he did have a. I don't even want to say, well, I will say a heavy hand, a direct hand in the costume design. He was very oh, yeah. direct in what he knew. A lot of times directors were like, make her sexy, make him handsome, yeah. make them this, that. He 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 knew, like, he, he had a usage of color. He had a usage of line and design that he wanted for certain things or not things. It was like painting a picture. And yeah. so, um, and, and uh, that was different that was not what a lot of directors did at that time but edith had knew how to well figured out how to work with that because she was she was all she was a figure outer that was her thing (laughs) and she was great at it Um, totally and and i think that it was really great that you know her her thing one of the things that made her great was that she figured out how to work with different actors and what what not just what they liked but what they didn't like what right. were the things that made them insecure? What were the things that you don't want to see? And then she would cover them up so that they could be their best and do and perform these things. Or, depending on the character, you would want to highlight or do these different things, but she'd work with that. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, uh, directors could just be like, okay, you know, get, you know, and carte blanche. And she just could, do, that was her, that was her job. And they let her do her job. Oh, yeah. Robert, you know, he was... He literally had his office right next to the costume wardrobe studio, you know, you know, like the costume department at the studio. He was that involved in costuming. He was a costume queen. He was really into this shit. He really was. Even though his stuff was very conservative, it was like everything meant something. He just yeah. he pared that shit down, and you know and what? And he worked with it Edith a lot, though. So good, he did. 11 and he films, did, yeah. And it was wow. fantastic. Yeah, um, they they yeah. did some good work together. Like because she could work with his weirdness and and deal with and and like and they got each other, and they were able to make really great things. She was a great collaborator. He, yeah. you know, and um, and and it wasn't just collaborating with him, but it was being that go between between the actor and and the and the director. And you yeah. can even clearly see in the costumes of Vertigo, like, clearly he was so fucking focused on Kim Novak. Everybody oh, yeah. else, even Midge, I mean, she literally, it's like, 
it, it's like she's like the girl who goes to J Crew is like, I like this sweater. I'll get one of every color, and I will literally see her in that same sweater throughout the entire film. Just in oh, different totally. Colors. In fact, I think Down she does. The, like, it, it's literally yeah. the exact same sweater in different colors. Yeah, and but you know, I she kind has a pencil of skirt. Like, she has an A line, like a full A line skirt. That's it. Totally. Like, and it's but, in, in like a dark denim chambray and flats. She's got heels. It's very. But her coat is lovely, and she has yes. gloves. But um, I mean, but yeah. we need to talk about how Midge is sort of like the unsung hero of this movie. She's like, I kind of loved. Yeah. I loved her in this movie. I was loved like, her. more of Midge, more of Midge, more of Midge. Right? <laughs> I, I loved know. her. I was like, she's she's a Spitfire. I kind of yeah. loved her. She was like, she caught, she saw like Scotty shit for what he was, and like she cared about him. But yeah. then you know, once once he got crazy, she I mean, she called bullshit. Kinda, she's literally yeah. the grounding force, and I feel like her wardrobe shows that it's so grounding. She is just like she's literally the reality of everything. Of like, yeah, uh, it's like unfr- re- yeah. Your, your reality is J. Crew sweaters and sensible loafers. And yeah, she's sort of like, like stop. <laughs> she's like unfrivolous, but yep. she kind of like knows what she. She's very utilitarian. She knows what she needs to do, but she's like. She's not so vain that she's not going to wear glasses, you know, but she's yeah. also like whip smart, knows everybody like well, I, I loved her. Oh, uh, this is where like some of this is like literally the, the connections between basic instinct in this movie are just like Jean Triplehorn, which who is like she's sort of the midge of that. She literally has the same round glasses as her. It's wow. And maybe it's just an early 90s thing, but I'm like, really? Really was queen. Basic Instinct a Paul Verhoeven movie? I think it's a I forget wonderful who, movie. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. I think it is, but I was I like, don't know. someone like you watched should watch it. Them. You should yeah. watch it because you're, you know, for 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 research because <laughs> for research, it's definitely one of those and like heavy air okay. Quotes. And because there's moments, first of all, fucking Sharon Stone crushes it. Like, I mean, she looks fantastic. She looks fucking fantastic. And her gold, that gold, like that club scene where she's like with her girlfriend in that little clubby, like gold dress. I mean, ridiculous. Like to me, that's <laughs> oh the best. But there are definitely times otherwise where I'm like, okay, trying to be a porno Kim Novak from... <laughs> from vertigo like really like her hair's pulled back the same way except she's like you know in a little like instead of wearing like a long black you know a, a knee-length black dress she's in like a cream dress that's thigh high with no panties as we all know but it's just so weird to mix the cream with like the white white then they give her like a white white coat but then she's got the blonde hair i'm like too much white <laughs> it's unsettling and i think that's what they're, they're trying to sh- say is like white ladies with blonde hair wearing a lot of white Psychos. something ain't right no, something, something ain't right something ain't right something ain't right you can put them on a white boat drink a white wine get out of that and go to a white car you're like she's gonna kill me she's gonna kill me too much white <laughs> hashtag too much white too much white <laughs> <laughs> oh my god speaking of too much white though that remember the second time that scotty and um kim Novak meet when she's in the white coat with the black like two oh that black, being said uh, so that's dress. a great usage of white oh, so she's in god. all black and then she's and the black gloves and then that white coat is fucking 
fierce. It's uh, one of my no, favorite no. things. And I love but the long there's... chiffon scarf that's like hooked into the notch. Totally, of the collar. yeah. I'm like, so oh, beautiful. it's so functional and San Francisco it's, beauty. It's just. I know. Oh, and that... they, I don't know if they did it on purpose, but they used the fact that it's chiffon and it catches like every breeze and it like, oh, it's it like, just... and I think she wears a chiffon scarf when she jumps in the bay too and she walks yes, around the, yeah. she walks around that building and it's mm-hmm. like, and the air, the wind actually picks it straight up and it blows like straight up I and know. it's kind of, which kind of adds to the fact that she's, it's kind of very ghostly feeling, very ethereal. And I'm like, I wonder if they, I wonder if they actually like (laughs) used fans to do that or if they just, if it just, you you do not need that. It's windy. It's windy as fuck over there. But you need the fat. That's the thing about San Francisco. You know, it is the place for fabulous scarves. They are just (laughs) meant to blow in that wind. Just blow, blow, blow. And, and then also to um, hold against your nose against bad smells when you have to go down into the mutant you know, bar. I'm just saying. That makes sense why San Francisco's motto is San Francisco, we blow. Yeah, well, okay then. Sure. I never understood that till just now. Um, let's see. Let's see. What else is there? Um well, Judy. I mean, I mean, we could talk about Judy. Well, yes, Judy, she and then that's the thing is like Judy's. So there's like the Midge stuff, which again, very abbreviated. We see her in the white suit, we see her in the white coat with the black dresses. Um, that's about it. And then Judy, you know, she's she's this whole different thing, and they put her in these um, greens and yellows, the Kelly mm-hmm. green dress with the dots. It's like um, everything is just broken up in a whole completely different way. She's got this, uh, you know, um, brown hair, uh, very like, well, both of them have what I could almost, they're almost like, you know, Instagram eyebrows, like, please look at Kim Kim Novak eyebrows, girl, please look at those. Um, Eyebrows on fleek. Yeah, Uh, they're on fleek and they look amazing. When they, um, hashtag are the kids still saying fleek? Um, (laughs) I know, right? Uh, but when they, when Judy first came on the screen, I was like, wait a second. I was like, that girl looks a lot like Kim Novak. I'm like, good for yeah. casting that they figured out. They found a girl who looks yeah. a lot like Kim Novak, but is not Kim Novak. And then later on, I was like, oh, that bitch is Kim Novak. They did a really <laughs> good job making her not look like Kim Novak, but kind of like, I was like. Well, her was, wig is kind of fabulous. You have to admit. It, like, it's pretty adorable. For a lace front, like she's got the and little she does, in front, but it doesn't look full or like gloppy like a wig. Like it looks good. <laughs> You know what I mean? But, where it's like too full, yeah, you're like that's where you're that's just like, yeah. where you're like, girl's got a big old skull under that. Yeah, thing. exactly. <laughs> like, but it's interesting though too because she does an amazing job acting like as a completely different person, yes. and it almost yeah. is like it's so funny. She almost did an amazing job acting like Ju- uh, Judy. That I was just like, there's no way that girl could have pretended to be Madeline because yeah. there's like she just would have been so too rough to do yeah. it. Like it's so it it was so interesting. It almost it did it did took me take me out of the story for a little bit because i was like there's no way that girl could have acted as austere as like you know because but and she i mean she looked at me she looked really i thought she looked really cute as judy she did look Um, really cute despite all the creep Enus of it all, like it was just well, and just but her, she looked very. Everything looked very easy, and there was a lot of like texture to like her. She had like sweaters and like you know, and I loved like she had skirts with pockets and like the like I love the buttons in the back. But this is like totally something you could literally like run around San Francisco and like go to your job and do stuff and live in, and this would be comfortable and normal. 
it's really funny because they were the Judy character and Madeline were supposed to be like 26, 27 in yeah. the movie. And this is like just seeing Judy. I was like, Oh, this is the first time I actually believe that someone's 26 years old. She was like, 24 see, when she made that movie. Yeah. But the it's character, crazy. remember, I think Gavin mentions that she's like the same age as when um, Carlotta killed herself, which was yeah. like 26 or 27. So yeah. even though she was 24 in the movie, I was like, this is the first time that any of these women in these old Hollywood movies actually look their age which is kind of interesting to think that it took all the way to the late 50s for them to make sportswear for a woman that wasn't that didn't make her look older but then again thinking about it it's seriously it's all based upon our the way we see youth yeah you know and how youth dresses so it was she just seemed like a modern young woman like you know in a way but i thought that was so fascinating i do love her lavender dress she looks really cute in that i did a little like wiggle dress is so cute yeah the little strappies. Yeah. With like, she had like matching gloves, matching yeah. cardigan with like tchotchkes on it and like yeah. tchotchke bracelet. She was a little, she liked her tchotchkes like as Judy. Yeah. You know? She loved her oh, costume Judy. jewelry. Rest in paradise, Judy. Yeah. Oh, poor little thing. Can't win. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, oh. it was good. I thought, I thought it was really good how, uh, you know, the different, the, like, <laughs> like, yeah, the like storytelling, like through the clip. <laughs> I love what you said. It was good. <laughs> No, I just, I mean, I mean, like, it was good as far as, like, you know, they're trying to show the difference between, like, Judy and Madeline, like, the Oh, no, they did an amazing, they did a really, yeah. You know. Did a really good job on that, like, an amazing job. Almost too good of a job, in a way, for me, where I was just like, whoa, there's no way these two people are the same. Yeah. Um, movie magic. (laughs) And then, of course, Scotty has, like, Literally, like, the traditional 1950s bachelor's wardrobe. He has a brown suit. He has a blue suit and a gray suit. And a couple of sweaters to intermingle with that. And apparently a a rather whimsical uh, red-dotted robe that he lets Kim Novak borrow. Yeah, oh, (laughs) that's right. uh, Yeah, that's, like, his little festive mark, I guess. (laughs) But but Um, I loved, loved, like, the interior shots in people's apartments and... um, and just Gunna like s- I love it, I just it, it feels yeah. comfortable. I just I love it. It's so cool. I agree. I gotta say, he's, he's he got a little too friendly with her, with Kim Novak the first time they met that he took her back to his apartment and got her fully undressed. Oh yeah, I mean, conscious. she even has like, that look on oh. the face of like you. She's like, you saw really? me nude, motherfucker. What? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like, where are my under panties? <laughs> <laughs> They're hanging up in my kitchen with your dress. Uh, yeah. We just Again, saw them. The camera panned why, over that. <laughs> why you got my underpanties? You know, it was, again, unsettling. Um, but it's Jimmy Stewart. He's like, can't a good man do the right thing? Yeah, he's like, he's like, Kim, I'm going to do the right thing. <laughs> That's my terrible Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart impression. Zuzu's battles. <laughs> um, yeah. So, was there anything else we need to discuss about this movie? Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I you mean, know, we could I wax Poe. I, I think mean, it was just more like really about the collaboration. I think this movie was a really great opportunity to talk about the collaboration between a director and a designer. Um, exactly. Just uh, is our first Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, I have yes. a lot of. Res- I love his movies, and it will I be really our last. Do. Well, okay JK, then. JK, JK. I'm starting my own podcast. It's the, it's the Alfred Hitchcock edition. Wouldn't that be messed up if I actually did that? Oh my God. <laughs> like, like, never right again. There, I'm like, fuck you. No. 
JK, JK. There's so many good ones. No, Are you kidding me? So rope? Girl, rope? Rope is amazing. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. Oh, yes. So I'm, good. Rope is amazing. Okay. So Rebecca is amazing too. Oh, Rebecca okay. is so good. So, yeah. Oh my God. We can't and then wait. there's all the Cary Grant ones too. Without, like, yeah, to, I mean, catch a thief, to Catch a Thief, Island for Murder, oh. North by oh. Northwest. I mean, yes. Marnie, The Birds. Oh, we have oh. so Strangers on a Train. Ah, oh. oh. We've got so many, y'all. We've got them. Um, we've got, we're going to do it. Yeah. We're so, do I mean, it. He, he has a very good catalog of movies. To yeah. Watch. We just, um, we started with this one because it just felt right. Um, yeah. And it's, it's great. Uh, it's, again, we, we just love, like, talking about a Hitchcock movie means talking about a collaboration between the design, you know, uh, the costume designer director in a really intimate way that, that a lot of directors just don't, didn't, or just don't have. And, sure. um, yeah. and, and I think it's really, I think it's really cool. And, um, and you know, again, Edith head, she's the great negotiator. And, uh, yep. it's, it's like, it's so much fun to always like research and read about her and talk about her and the way she was able to work. And really a lot of the things that she did that made her a success, you can easily apply to what you do, at least even what we do today. Like I think about, you know, how she operates and how to test do things. And like, I think about that too. It's like, you know, you have to recognize the needs of everyone. You have to, you know, the more you can do that, and the more you can speak everyone's language, and um, the more you can work things out and get stuff done. And she was yep. really, really smart like that. And so I think that's yeah. sort of key to. I think that's sort of the key to her success is she really uh-huh. saw the for the forest for, sure. for the trees of when she it comes studied, to making she a movie. The script. She really yep. wanted to make sure what she did, was doing was moving the story forward. Exactly. So it's like, in a lot of ways when you can do that and then come to the director or again, the, the designer, the director, anyone like and you're, you're basically saying like, I'm, I'm a couple steps ahead. Like I see you and I see your vision and here's, here's how I'm going to help make that happen. They're like, cool, do what you need to do. Every once in a while you get a Hitchcock where they're like, and they need to be this way in this color. Make but you know, it's kind of it's you know? good that she was she was able to to and collaborate in a way yeah. that that and she collaborated in a way that was like really sort of for the greater good. Oh, and, and she, she was, was so like, smart okay, about if it. I like, knew, yep. yeah, she's she not so just doing something for ego and like pleasing actors. Like she's so good at like pleasing him, and then knowing full well, like let's face it, you know, Kim Novak is up against playing this very intimidating character for an intimidating person in an intimidating situation, and she's trying to have a voice. And so Edith Head was at least at least able to give her the illusion of having a voice in some way yeah. by like, you know, first of all, like at least helping her making her feel like she was helping to collaborate in the gray suit situation. And then like the other thing was like again the shoes, you know, like mm-hmm. there were scenes like when she's wearing the white coat, um, you know, she he wanted her to wear black. She, she was able to get Hitchcock to like, okay, fine, she can wear her own shoes. Like just little things like that to just gave her back a little bit of her own control like Kim Novak as a as an actor um yep. was something that Edith had did that like she was able to facilitate that so it didn't get ugly so it didn't get weird or at least try to make it at least as as least weird as possible and aren't yep. we all trying to do that in some way in our jobs yes. so yeah 2018 <laughs> yeah. making it I the know, least weird right? possible <laughs> yeah some things never change <laughs> 
goodness. Well, that seems like the perfect way to cap this one off. Exactly. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. We're really thinking great things for 2018. I'm so glad we got to have this as our um, New Year's Day uh, first episode of the year. It's great. Yep. It's great. Raise a mimosa to all of you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so stay in touch, guys. Please, Please uh, hit us up over on the social media. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, Facebook is Old Hollywood Realness. Uh, Twitter at OHR Podcast. Instagram or at Old Hollywood Realness. Check out the website. We'll be posting photo recaps of the movie. Um, OldHollywoodRealness.com. We have an Amazon banner on there. So if you're going to be shopping on Amazon, why don't you click that link and then shop like you normally will we'll get some um we'll get some beans thrown our way and then we can <laughs> pay for these movies uh Woo. let's see what else uh, you can email us anything if you have thoughts on this movie we'd love to hear them if you have questions or any sort of like if we missed anything or if we yes. spoke please email us um old hollywood realness at gmail.com um all of that's on the website too if you need to, if you um didn't write it down fast enough um, big th- thanks to our buddy Hal Lublin for giving us his vocal talents at the top of the podcast um, and then you can also help us out by going over to iTunes and giving us a five star rating and reviewing us like oldies buff did he says, or he or she says, really fun. Five stars. I listened to a few episodes and I'm really enjoying it. They are so enthusiastic and funny. The only problem is is that they often have their facts wrong. Right now I'm listening to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and they just claim that Russ Tamblin, who played one of the brothers, was the choreographer. Oh, the, I, the know. Amaz- I know. Wait, we'll get there. The amazing <laughs> Michael Kidd was the choreographer. I know. Check, check out the gorgeous dancing in the dark from Bandwagon to understand his versatility. I will take these mistakes in stride and try not to sweat it. I more appreciate their commentary on the costume design. Looking forward to working my way through all the episodes. First of all, thank you for the correction. I mean, we often, that was early on in the podcast. Yes. No excuses, but no. we've come a long way. And, and we we've often re-listened to these more. and let these haunt us into the night. So, yes, yes so, there are times um, we're like, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. Yes. So if we do misspoke, by all means, reach out, let us know. We'll definitely post a retraction. We'll correct ourselves in the next episode. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, so, yes, I actually did end up Googling it and confirmed and, ev- and looked into Michael Kidd. So he was a Hollywood choreographer between um, 1952 and 1989. His movies included The Bandwagon, Guys and Dolls, and Hello, Dolly. Um, he was also a prolific Broadway choreography as well with a huge long career from, spanning from 1939 all the way to 1993. Um, and there's actually an interesting, uh, I found a random interview with Michael Kidd where, uh, on YouTube where he talks about um, choreographing the, um, the barn raising scene from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which I'll post on our Facebook page um, and I'll tweet the link. So it's an interesting read. So I appreciate that. Um, we'll, we have, if you keep... Stay, stay with us, oldies buff, because they the episodes get much better research than they deserve than the earlier episodes do. We so still we make flubs from that. time to time. I mean, because like, we also sometimes consume yep. alcohol while we're doing this, so then we flub yeah. too. But We'd, our heart's but in the right yes. place. Yes, and um, yeah, blushing on that one, but things it, hashtag it gets better. <laughs> but thank you for that review; it's wonderful. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so with that, uh, thanks for listening to OHR Vertigo. <laughs>